You are listening to the Photobomb Podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb Podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Coming at ya. All right. Do you, do you put much thought into uh, how you're going to say hello each week? No, you, I literally you try just, to do it differently. I every just week. do it on the, you know. Like, I just make something up right before. I mean, it's like 80 times you've done this now. 83 or 82, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I would think you'd be running out of ways to, to do it. No, no, I mm. mean, uh, I, I, I'm just going to start going to foreign languages at some point. We should do a whole episode uh, where you do uh, Sean Connery and I'll do... Um, yes. And, and I'll do uh, uh, yes. Christopher Walken. Okay. <laughs> we can do that. Welcome to The Rock. <laughs> yeah, but you can only do Sean Connery if you're actually saying lines. Yeah, only lines from The Rock. Yeah, yeah. Lines. I can only do lines from The Rock. <laughs> and that's pretty much the only one you have is Welcome to The Rock. <laughs> is there any other line in the movie you remember? Um, yeah. Well, um, losers go home and whine about their best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even good at it. My yeah. buddy Johnny does a really that's good job. That's what Sean makes it Connery. great. Yeah. My, my Christopher Walken isn't good either. It's but better I, than my Sean Connery. I enjoy Connery. doing it. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Uh, so, um, I'll just keep going. Yes. Someone, uh, someone was talking about mini sessions. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. This is, we're going to talk about mini sessions, which is, uh, the very common and pervasive practice of people to do an event where they will, you know, charge a much smaller amount of people to get in the door, maybe even include a small print or something just to sort of generate business and to, you know, like people do with the ducks and bunnies at Easter or Santa Claus. Right. But, you know, spring mini sessions or beach, whatever, you know. Yeah, I've done them. You've probably done them. Yeah, I haven't done them in uh, years, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we used to do them a lot. But I think that a lot of um, photographers, uh, established types, hate them. And, and hate hate that people do them, and yet when you really look at them, they're not a bad deal usually for the photographer if they're done right. I, I don't know any photographer who hasn't done them or some kind of similar right. thing. But you hear them say, someone's doing mini sessions for 50 bucks. And I'm like, okay, well, wait a minute. But you get fifteen minute session and yeah, if like I can a do, five if by I can seven. Do, yeah. If I can do, yeah, if I can do five or six families in less than two hours, then that's two fifty three hundred in my pocket right there, mm-hmm. and then if I can then push out sales of another thousand or so. Yeah, the idea is you want to upsell them. Yeah, right. But instead of let's say that your studio where your average sale on a portrait session is like fifteen hundred dollars, which is a very respectable average. And, let, and let's not act like that most people listening to the podcast that's the case. No, by I mean, the way. But you know, no. no I, everyone loves to talk about the thousand dollar portrait session. We do it. Well, I don't do that many portraits, but yeah, we're that's pretty. That's not uncommon for us to be in the twelve to fifteen hundred dollar market. And I know photographers who do much more than that. Okay. But, you know, again, I think, I think that depends on the type of business that you build and your clientele that you have access to, et cetera, et cetera. But I, don't, I do like eight family portraits a year. You know, right. So it's not a huge, you know, um, because we have had trouble finding a market for it. And not only that, but like the hand-holding business model, I get, I get a little, I can do it a little bit. But if my whole business all year round was like emotional selling and hand-holding, I'm just, that's my personality at this point in my life. It's not what I'm into. And I'm sure that has, is subject to change. But I'm into right now the working with professional people, more of a commodity business model. But we do still have our clients that we do those types of portraits for. And a $1,000 sale is not hard to do. Um, 
and especially if you do it the right way. But with a mini session, I know a lot of photographers, it, it's, I think it's very common to sell, have a $1,000 average in a portrait sale, even a 1200 1500 depends on your market, depends on what you charge, obviously. But um, I think with a mini session, let's say, for example, you're a studio and your portrait sale average is about twelve to $1,500, you know, which, again, not everybody's doing it, but it's not uncommon. Um, if you do a mini session, let's say that you're trying to get in people uh, at 50 bucks, and then you're trying to get a $200 average out of these mini sessions. You want to upsell them to like 200 bucks. And what it does is it um, some the, the the controversy comes in with photographers that I've talked to about it is that they get their clients who can afford to spend $1,500 will come in and take advantage of the mini session. Right. And then they won't come and do their regular session that they would have done that year, and they'll spend three hundred dollars instead of fifteen. So sometimes, and if you do it the wrong way, you're shooting yourself in the foot, taking money from one client and, uh, that would have given more and given them the opportunity to do stuff less expensively. And I think again, that depends on your business model. And the other side of it is, you give people who couldn't normally afford you an affordable way to have your products in their house. And so that's the thing that we need to talk about. And I believe that there's a very specific way to separate those two things. Um, and uh, and that was actually uh, Greg Daniel, who we know, who's a great portrait photographer in Titusville area. Um, he he kind of dropped this bomb on me where I was th- thinking about the same thing. And, and I thought, that's how you do it. That's exactly how you do it. So there is a way to do it correctly. Okay. Um, Drop the bomb on us. I'm well, ready for the bomb. It's not my bomb. It's someone else. Again, this is not my business. I don't do ducks and bunnies, and I don't do Santa Claus. I don't do beach mini sessions. I don't build sets. I don't do any of that stuff. Right. But what you want to do is if you – it can be a great thing. If you can book you know, 30 or 40 families over a weekend doing ducks and bunnies or 50 or 100, whatever your volume can do, and you can get 150, 200 bucks a family, you can make a buttload of money. You sure. work your butt off for a couple of days. But you, can make a, you could make an absolute pant load. Um, just doing little bits of high-volume business. The thing is you need to be accessing there, – there are two ways to approach it. One, when you do a mini session, it has to be something that's really, really specific. So it's not your normal product. Right. So you do build a set with ducks and bunnies or you have a little dock in the sand on the beach. It's not your normal thing because people won't be able to come to a mini session and get what you normally do for that price. Gotcha. That's one way to do it. So, and the other thing is you have to even have separate products. So, for example, let's say um, during the recession, uh, let's say that your big deal is you, you do very expensive family portraits. And you do like 100 sessions a year. Your average is like $4,000, $5,000. Let's say the recession happens and people stop spending five to $10,000 on family portraits, even the people that have money. Um, the crazy rich people weren't affected that much. That's no amount of money to them. But the upper middle class that got really hurt, that's the ones that stopped spending money, what do you do when they want pictures? Do you bring your prices down so your business can survive? And by bringing your prices down, you allow those people access to your products again, but you're also bringing the prices down for the people that make the most money who can still afford your most expensive stuff. So in order to stop from shooting yourself in the foot, you create separate product lines. So if, for example, if your thing is um, like Greg Daniel doing large canvases, hand-painted, mixed-media, large canvases, then that is a product that you can only get at the top dollar. You don't even have access to that physical product unless you pay the most money for the session and you go on location to the beach or wherever it is what you do. And then, But you can create a separate product line. It's maybe you know, black-and-white studio portraits on photographic paper, something that's less expensive and less time-consuming to produce, and therefore you can charge less for it, but you don't have access to the large canvases or whatever your main product is. You create a separate track of products. But isn't there the danger of... Why would you want to restrict a person who might want to spend more money with you? Well, the people who can't afford it 
anymore still can. This is talking about res- surviving the economic downturn. Right. And, and a lot of people lowered their prices, and they ended up hurting themselves because they, you still have some clients that can't afford the expensive stuff. Right. But then instead of lowering your prices across the board, you create a sort of subcategory. I've even seen photographers and, um, that I know, um, I'm thinking of some in particular like in uh, the Richmond area, where um, they have two separate studios in the same space, and one is like their, more, their, lo- their higher volume, lower dollar price, and the other ones they are super high, and they're different names, different products, and it's the same owners, same photographers even. So huh. they separate their lower cost products from their higher cost products, which is, I think, is what you have to do with mini sessions. So if you get mini, uh, come to a mini session and your main thing is selling large, large canvas groupings, don't, I, you know, don't sell those out of mini session. Come have a separate project that we do like small, f- colorful frame portraits. Bam, bam, bam. And that's what we do for these. And so if somebody wants to get your normal product and your normal price and your normal experience, they have to book a regular session. But this is a way to sort of one, it lets people who can't afford you normally to have access to some of your products. And it also keeps your clients who can't afford you from going with a lower price product instead of like, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, but then shortchanging him, you know. And so I thought that, that was a, that's a really cool way to do mini sessions because it, it generates income. It gets your name out there because the whole thing isn't necessarily even the event or, or the whole thing isn't necessarily the money that comes in from a mini session. It's the you nowadays with online and social media, it's the buzz that an event can generate. Mm-hmm. The amount of people who don't book you that still see your name it gives right. you something to something to talk about. Something to talk about. And so uh, I think that that's probably the unintended, the most important and least paid attention to thing about doing mini sessions is that we we do uh, we used to do headshot mini sessions where we would book like twenty in a day and it'd be like. $99 as opposed to our usual price. And we would book those out like crazy. But then we would get, whenever we had a mini session and they'd sell out, people would still call for it, and then they'd end up booking a regular session anyway. Because you'd go, oh, well, that's a mini session, and we're only shooting them in this location and only in this style, and we only have this many spots. And so, and, and by the way, you know, and we only have a 215 they left on that Saturday. And they're like, oh, well, a 215 doesn't really work for me. Okay, well, what do you have in the following week? And I'll just probably book a regular session. Right. Like we would book a bunch of regular sessions from just offering a mini session. Gotcha. For people that it wasn't convenient for or wasn't exactly what they wanted. And so we do a very similar thing now, and we do like uh, headshots for charity and headshot parties. Um, where we're basically for actors, and I'll shoot it very specifically so that it's good and useful, but it's not something that would be, you know, all they would need. So they'll still want to come back and do other looks and other things. And, and, and so, like, I'll shoot it all on white, which isn't really great for our market. The agents don't really like it. So I'll do a headshot event where everybody gets a headshot on white, but it's super cheap. But then they still need to come back and get something else because that's not all they need. Gotcha. And so there's a smart way to do it, and it can also generate a buttload of quick cash. I think there's something to be said, too, for people who... Uh, who, you know, it's not not this not just that they don't want to be the thousand dollar, fifteen hundred dollar session photographer, uh, but they just it's just not they don't yeah they don't want to be, not they can't be or that but they just don't want to be. Some people want to do mini sessions. Some people want to make it quick and easy and out. Some people want to do volume. I've right. got a friend who does uh, vacation pictures. So if you've got a family and you're vacationing at Clearwater Beach and you'd like to have some family pictures on the beach, mm-hmm. right? So he's got a website and he books these things out like crazy. Sure. And he books it out. It's 275 and you get all the images on disc. Right. And you think that's crazy. But he doesn't use off-camera lighting. He shoots at a particular time of day 
And then he, um, in Photoshop, raises up the shadows so much. It's a particular look. Right. Um, brings up the shadows so much. You know, and the people seem to like it. I mean, he's doing just fine. Mm-hmm. And he is booked every single day, sometimes two or three a day. And he's making probably 50 k a year. And he's working about one and a half hours a day. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that, with, with that being your business model. That's no. what he wants to do, and that's what he wants to be. And I know that there are many photographers who would just look down on that. And I'm like, no, he's providing us to be. And these people on vacation don't, aren't going to pony up $600, $700, $800 for pictures of their family on the beach. Yeah. I think in most cases, when, uh, if somebody wants that deal... They're not your client anyway, so right. why worry about it? It's a big, big thing to get to the realization in your business where you start to go, that's not my client, and that's okay. Yeah, you have to hone in on who your client is. So if you've got more of a business model that is higher volume, lower dollar, that exists. You know, not everybody is gonna be is gonna buy Dooney and Burke handbags. Some people right. go. Some people go to TJ Maxx and sure. just get the twelve dollar handbag because you know, it, it it doesn't matter to them. You know, and if 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 photography and large printed portraits or whatever it is that you offer doesn't matter to somebody, that person isn't your client. Right. And in some cases, you have the opportunity to educate people, which I understand that. Like sometimes clients don't even know what they're missing. Especially now, you've got people who are parents my age and even younger who have children who grew up. In, in the digital age and they don't understand the value of prints. And, you know, if that's part of your business, part of your brand, then go for it. But I don't understand looking down on someone else for, for coming up with a good idea or having a business that makes them money and they're digging doing it, you know? Not, I, like, I, like I said before, I don't like the, have to, the long sale, the hand-holding. Yeah, and the, I'm not I, a big fan either. And, and, and I, the people I know that do it, do it so well, and I have a lot of respect for them as business people. That artist business model is so cool, and we do a little bit of it. But if that was all I did all day, I mean, I'm just not that guy. I'm just not the emotional selling guy. I, like, I, love my, I love my business when it's like you come in, you do the thing, and then you leave. You know, and, I, and that makes me happier. So if I'm happy and I'm making money and I'm doing great by my clients, like... Mm. Who the hell are you? Excuse me. Yeah, I don't really care what anybody thinks about that, you know. And uh, uh, you know what? Here and here's the dirty little secret. Here's the dirty little secret. I was talking about talking to my wife about this yesterday. There are so many photographers that have the um, the big, uh, you know, the the artist business model, and and they do the the in person sales and all that stuff. And those are all great things. I'm not being negative about those things, but I don't know a single one of them who isn't doing the other stuff on the side. Uh-huh. I don't know a single one who isn't yep. making ends meet by doing the other stuff on right. the side. Who, if right. they said, come to my office and do 50 headshots and make $5,000 right. in four hours, right. I don't know a single one of them that isn't right. taking that work. Right. They've always got that. They've always, they're always like, they're, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm the big, and, and I also do Little League pictures on right. Sundays. Well, that was, <laughs> uh, I was talking to a very, very well-known photographer, and I didn't get permission to tell this story from him um, using his name, so I won't mention it, but about a very famous photographer named Don Blair. And back in the old days, in the PPA, like Don Blair was like the guy. He's like Big Daddy Don Blair. They used to call him Big Daddy. And he's this, he, he was a big. Was he a drag racer? Yeah. Big, yeah. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, no, no, Sunday. No, 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 professional wrestler. Big, big Daddy Don Blair. Don Blair. But Don, anyway, but he had, the, he had this just a fantastic photographer, business person, and never had the pleasure to meet the guy. Uh, but, you know, he's this guy that everybody looked up to. And so this guy I was talking to, who was actually giving me a ride to the airport. And uh, and he was telling me the story. He goes, so I, you know, and I was new in the PPA, and and uh, and I went up to this guy, and everybody seemed like this was the guy you needed to talk to. So he goes up to the guy, and he says, goes up to Don Blair, and he says, look, I, I'm new, and 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 you seem to be really successful. You got all this going on, like, 
what is it that what is it that you're doing? Like, what's your tip? And, and Don Blair says to him, he goes, "I shoot schools and sports." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's where the money is. Yeah, I almost just fell off this stool. I'm not yeah. used to these new IKEA stools. But yeah. like, it's uh, you know, I know a few people in the photography business that are solely dedicated to. Well, you have a little bit of a. You thing. have a little bit of a. I don't want to say you have a chip on your shoulder. It's not chips on your shoulder, but you have a little bit of a thing. When you talk about doing bulk headshots, that you will always you'll you'll you'll, you'll say, and I know some people look down on it, but people do, and I always want to go. I sc- nobody screw them. Who's looking down? I don't. You know. I feel the same I way. I, this the whole idea that if you aren't some guy who who's who's making three thousand dollar portraits, that you're not a real photographer. Screw you. Yeah, but minute by minute, hour by hour of work, I'm making just as much or more than any of anybody else. Well, that's what I'm saying. So like, it, but the thing a is photographer like, is a photographer. If you're doing good work and you're getting good clients and you're making a living, then you deserve to be respected as a photographer. I agree, but th- that's not the way the industry is. I know. And Years it's ago, uh, in the in the photography industry, you know. Wedding photographers were considered oh, yeah. the redheaded stepchildren, and we if still you, are in many ways. I mean, but you wouldn't go to you wouldn't go to WPPI. Well, maybe WPPI was actually sort of the the harbinger change in that way. They were that's why kind of WPPI was started because wedding photographers didn't get any respect in the in the in the other parts of the photography industry like PPA. You wouldn't go to Imaging USA and everybody be rushing to talk to a wedding photographer. Right. It was, you know, because wedding photography was just not looked at that way. And uh, now wedding photographers are freaking rock stars, you know? And then it used to be like the guys who shot commercial photography products and stuff. Those were like the cock of the walk. Those are the cool <laughs> guys, you know? And then the problem is that headshot photography is a new genre. It's as a standalone. It's always just been a thing that some people do. And like, and everybody does a little bit of. You know what I did the other day? I shot a passport photo. Hey, all right. I was doing a headshot session for a guy. He's a he's a SEO consultant, and he does uh, you know basically online visibility and marketing for his clients. So I was doing this kind of like personal branding session with him and doing a few different things. And he uh, he goes, by the way, can uh, while I'm here. Can you, right. <laughs> you know, while I'm here, can you just do this? Yes. While you're here, can you give me more money? Yeah. No, but it was like his session. I, his session was by time, and so I and I and he had a few minutes left. I'm like, yeah, sure. So I shot a passport photo. Like, not proud. Well, you know, Kevin Newsom does a bunch of them, and he's proud of it. He's yeah. like, he's like, because because and he'll tell you like this country, this country, there's specifics for I, different countries. They got to be me specific parameters. He goes, and people don't know what they all are. He goes, I do. So if you come to me and you need a Canadian passport photo, I can well, give you the right one photo. One of the things about uh, getting your passport done at Walgreens or one of the places like that, you can get passport photos done, but they will only do U.S. and Canada passports. Right, because other countries have very specific uh, specific things that have to be done. Right. So it was actually during this session, the guy asked me to do a passport, and it was for a Hungarian passport. Oh. And I have no idea. I've never shot a Hungarian passport before. So I literally, I got on, I went over to my computer, I pulled up um, Messenger, and I and I texted Kevin Newsom, and I'm like, "Do you have a template for a Hungarian passport?" And and seriously, five minutes later, here you go. He said, "Check your email." And there's a PSD with a template for a Hungarian there you passport. Go. Right? Yeah, like, he's the passport king. He did. But you know what? You could pay the rent on your studio with sure passports. Sure, you can. Because if all you're doing is international passports, you know. And here's the other thing that I think about about passport photos: international passports are people who are from other countries who work or live here. And a lot of these people are, are traveling a lot, doing international business and stuff like that. So, like, 
these are actually a really good client pool for like your portrait and wedding businesses. These people are not, you know, people who travel a lot internationally are not like poor people who can't no. afford photography. No. People who travel a lot internationally are typically people who have money to burn a little bit more than a lot of other people. So passport photos could be a really good, I mean, I haven't done it, but could be really good sort of a, a well to, to dig into to try and like feed your portrait and wedding businesses. Listen, talking about, you know, you know, wedding photographers and, and, and oh, it's kind of frowned on. Different things being frowned on. That this is an area where I don't have a problem, because um, this is an area where I absolutely, and you know, as you know well, I absolutely will get up in your face and protect my people, <laughs> especially when it comes to wedding photography. Yeah. Because when I look at when I look at photographers, while I respect the images. I also really respect the process of what it takes to do the job. And so I look at that as being every bit as valid in terms of your validation as a photographer as the finished product. And there's too many people, I think, that only look at the finished product. Yes, that finished product of that studio portrait is beautiful and the work that you did and the lighting and the Photoshop is beautiful, which makes you a great photographer. But the guy who set up and shot 400 Little League pictures mm-hmm. all in one day, delivered and got them all done and they're good. And that guy and made 20 grand. Yeah, yeah. That guy also, <laughs> that guy also deserves your respect Absolutely. as a good photographer and business. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and you two guys should be able to be on common ground without one of you looking down on the other one, you know, without I'm looking down on you because you just do little league pictures and I'm looking down on you because you're all foo 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 and you only cater to rich people who have money to burn. Uh, you know, no, you are both good. You know, and you've heard me say this before when it comes to me with wedding photography is I, I get so upset when I feel that someone is looking down on my work when they can't do what I do. Yeah. If you can't do what I do, then you have no right to judge me. I think a lot of it comes from the insecure narcissism that is being a creative entrepreneur. Like, you have to be, in order to feel okay, you have to be looking at something and thinking that it's not as good as you. Or that it's not as relevant or that it's not as valid. It's, it's yeah. making yourself feel better by going. And, and I'm guilty of it myself. Like, I really do. So like, if I see somebody else posting headshots on their Facebook page, even a photographer friend of mine, and I'll go and I'll be out. The first thought in my head, and I cannot. I of cannot, course not. You're going to is like, is like, is that better than what I could do? Yeah. Listen, it, I, I, when I go to Tijuana Flats. And it's insecurity. I go to Tijuana Flats and I'm standing there ordering my food and I look to the right and there's plaques from the Little League teams that they have sponsored. Right. And I'm going, oh, that guy knows what he's doing. Oh, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. I'm, I'm, you know, judgy, and it's a, it's a, it's judgy, a, it's a group Little League picture, but I can see that this guy placed him correctly via the sun and lit him with a flash, whereas this guy did not, and all their faces are in shadow. Judgy, and you can't, judgy you, pants. Yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> I, when I look at those, I'm like, okay, I wonder who this guy is because this guy knows a little something. Right. He's yeah. shooting Little League pictures, but he knows a little bit about what he's doing. This guy's a photographer. This guy is just a guy with a camera. Right. You know, and, and so, I mean, even at, but even at that level, that deserves respect. Do you know? Do you know what guy I want to talk to when I go to photography conventions? I want to talk to the guy with the biggest number on his tax return. Yeah, that's the guy. I, and you know who that guy is? <laughs> volume schools. It's going to be the guy who does sports photography. Yes, it's going to be volume leaves. schools. Yeah, or, yeah that, that's the guy. And when you go to like Imaging USA and they have all the speakers and wedding photographers, everything, they'll be like one guy at the whole conference that is talking about doing schools. No, wrong. And he's the guy who flew in on his no. private jet a few years ago. And it's like Ralph Romaguera, Mike Fulton, Jeff Gump, and a bunch of other. And they even got some of the guys from Life Touch whose names are escaping me right at the moment. But they have a whole volume photography track 
track at Imaging USA and have for several years now. Okay. Where they have a whole separate track of speakers that just do volume school and sports. They've got a whole room with all the. And it's great. And, that, and, and, yeah. and that's the room where all the rich people are. Dude, they're yeah. the ones making the money. Yeah, you want to see the guys who have like a big boat? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's the volume sports guys, whose the houses, volume school guys. Whose house is paid for? Who, when they retired when they were 50, sold their volume sports photography business for three million bucks? Yeah, those are the guys. You want to, I mean, volume is. My dad said this a long time ago, and when I was probably too young to appreciate it, but I appreciate it now. And when I was. That's pretty I, much true of everything your father ever tells I know, you. That's so it? true. I'm, right now, I have. This is my third business that I've had, and my photography studio. I've done a bunch of other stuff with my life up to this point. But my dad told me, because I was always starting a business and then moving on to something else, and then he said, uh, Son, remember that, um, r- that poor people make things for rich people, and rich people make things for poor people. And I was like, ding, okay. ding, 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 ding. Think about that. Like, yeah. Like the, the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Right. Like he's making the boots for the Prince of Wales. And then the, uh, but like the guy who owns Walmart that sells potato chips for 99 cents, you know, those, those are millionaires, billionaires, you know. Well, and that, spe- what, and that really, what that really speaks to is the problem that so many photographers have overcoming, which is selling a product that they personally would not pay for. That so many photographers have that problem. That I can't. The, I can't. Yeah. I can't charge five hundred dollars for this print because I would never pay five hundred dollars for a print. Right. You are not your customer. That's. It's. It's. So, I, it's, it's huge. I see people. Every new photographer has trouble over. You. You. The ones who don't. The ones who hit the ground running with. I'm charging a thousand dollars. They're the ones that are successful. The phot- a photographer friend of my dad's, and I think I was probably sixteen, and my parents were involved in all the PPA associations. This was probably down in West Palm Beach, and this guy was over visiting, and uh, with his wife, and they were friends of my parents, other photographers, and then it came in, and he's got these like. Gucci loafers. He's got a Mont Blanc pen in his shirt pocket, and everything's like Banana Republic or Louis Vuitton. And like, and I, and I was looking at them. I looked at my parents, and then I looked at him, and I'm like, my dad's dressed in like, you know, he's got his normal like just polo shirt on and a pair of Dockers. And I'm thinking, and I asked the guy, uh, and I I said to him because he's kind of like Uncle Scott, you know. And I was like, I was like, uh, he said, like, you know, you dress really expensive he goes yeah because i you know he's like i dress like i want my clients to think i live but you know but he drives like a 1990 vw you know and um and i and i said uh wow that's that's kind of an interesting idea and he said yeah he goes you know what he he goes i want my clients to i want to be a type of brand that my clients would want he goes but ultimately to be successful in your business sometimes a lot of times, maybe even most of the time, like you shouldn't be able to afford yourself. Right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, if you want to be that business model, that high-end business model, you shouldn't be able to afford yourself almost. It's true. You know? It's true. I mean, I wondered when we were in transition between our last house and this house, and we were in a small rental house, I wondered how much it affected my ability to book a wedding because... At the old house, we had a big, you know, giant house in a nice neighborhood, and they would come there to meet with me. Through and, your excellent security. Uh, yes, through my excellent security. Push the button. And, and I often wondered, you know, did it affect my sales? Because you would, think it, you would think it would run counter to that. You would think that when people see that you, that you seem to be doing okay, that they're thinking he must be charging too much. But it doesn't work that way. They like success. When they see that you're successful, when they see that you're not necessarily well off, but when they see that you're doing well, it brings them comfort. This is a guy who must know what he's doing. Right. As opposed to, I'm going to meet you at Starbucks. I think that's a subconscious thing. But yeah, I mean, think about it when you walk into a hair salon or you walk into anywhere else that, so, or you walk into a mechanic or you go into a clothing store. When it looks nice, when it feels nice, when it's got a nice build, you know, it gives you a subconscious level of confidence 
in your purchasing decision that you're about to make. Like if you go into a restaurant and 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 it looks nice, you can in your mind you will almost certainly equate the quality of the food with how nice the place looks. And that may or may not be the case, but that's in your mind you do that. Sure. I think nowadays maybe restaurants are a bad example because I've eaten barbecue out of trucks. That's really good. <laughs> barbecue, but, you know. is the, yeah, but car, barbecue is the exception because barbecue is almost the other way around. Yeah, if barbecue, you don't have a broken TV yeah. underneath a working a smaller working TV Dude, we on went, a plastic table, I'm not buying your barbecue. There's a place here called Jazzy's Barbecue. And it's, a, I mean, it's a Do you whole, go get lunch very small, this? very small place, okay? My father loves it. I've never been there. We go there. you got to go up to the counter, you, uh, order your thing. It comes out on a paper plate. Your cup is a paper cup. With a slice of Wonder Bread. Yeah, with like a slice of Wonder Bread. It is a pile of the best barbecue you have ever had in your life for right. like $6. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are they open on Sundays? And you're eating at a picnic table. Well, let's you know? go. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, and barbecue is the exception to that rule. I tell you what I don't get is food trucks. Because I've never had anything from a food truck that was better than stuff I get in a regular restaurant. I don't know. I've had some pretty great stuff on a food, food truck. A food truck is nothing but a guy with a grill. He's not doing anything. He's not doing anything elaborate and special at the food truck. I, I don't think you watch food truck wars on TV. I don't. Yeah, no. no. There's some good food trucks. There's actually a really good. I know this sounds terrible. In Orlando, we have a really good sushi food truck. Yeah, I know. It's I don't want to awesome. Be... It's really, really good. But yeah. what's, a lot of the what you have too is a lot of bars that don't serve food. They'll, right. they'll get a deal with different trucks and they'll come and like park outside their bar for the night. And then so people who are drinking and you're like, oh, you know, it'll be really good right now. Six tacos. I had a, I had a bar mitzvah. Uh, I had a bar mitzvah. Good for you, was, Mazel tov. That was that was on on the people's property. And uh, they had big pens and everything for our misfit, and they hired three food trucks to come just park right there in the street for all the for all the catering. It was a yeah. great idea. Yeah, it's no awesome. must, no fuss, easy cleanup, and it's hip. You yeah, know? like people are like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, they oh, had like they had truck. like like one with chicken fingers and stuff for the kids, and then one with like barbecue and stuff, and then one was a dessert. Dude, the fried chicken finger food truck is like your place. That would but, be but your I, favorite. I, food I, truck. But also, I mean, I say they hired a couple of food trucks. Wouldn't that be a gig that if I'm a food truck, I'm taking for you ain't got to pay me. You're gonna you're gonna deliver 200 customers to me? Okay, I'll come park it. You why unless I? unless you're just saying give me a bill after for what everybody ordered, or right? Something like that, right? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, in like that the, the the food truck right. equivalent right. of an think, op- I didn't think of, about of a that. cash bar. Yeah, I didn't think about that. It wasn't a, it wasn't a cash <laughs> bar, cash bar food truck. You know, we'll be that really would be good. a pretty bad event if you go to bed. Not only is it a cash bar, but you got to pay for your. Did food. Did we just invent the best food truck in the world? The cash bar food truck? <laughs> cash bar. Food no food, food, just bar. But it's like we have a liquor license and we just drive to your establishment. And if you don't have liquor, we will sell it out. The truck I worked in a nightclub. I worked in a nightclub that was having trouble getting their um, liquor license, and it wasn't a nightclub. It was a um, it, it was strip a strip joint. Uh, thank you. Yep, strip club. It was a gentleman's club. Gentleman's club. And they were having trouble getting their liquor license, and they opened anyway. And and so what they did was they parked a limousine in the, which which had the right to serve liquor <laughs> in the in the parking lot, <laughs> and you could go to the limousine and get your drink and then go back inside. That's hysterical. Yeah, that's I was at. Did I ever tell you about? I went to. There's a bar called. Uh, well, I won't give the name of the bar because I don't want to sell them out. But there's this bar I went to with my buddy. We were out drinking and we took an Uber for like. There's. It's kind of close to my house. To this like last. We're gonna have a nightcap and. So we take the Uber over, we get out, we go into this place, and I get up to the bar, and I'm looking at the beers, and I'm like, man, I haven't had a Rolling Rock since college. Yeah, give me a Rolling Rock. So I got my green bottle. From Latrobe, yeah. Pennsylvania. And then uh, my buddy doesn't drink beer. He's like, yeah, give me, uh, uh, give me a whiskey and Coke. And they're like, actually, we don't serve liquor here. And I look around, and I'm thinking, like, this is, this is crazy. This bar doesn't serve liquor. But on the counter behind the bartender is every mixer you've ever heard of, but, right. no, but no liquor bottles. Right, right. 
And so I look around and I see a lot of like plastic cups right. and red solo cups. And I'm like, so it, uh, a light bulb goes off in my head and I'm like, so if, if, do you have something that maybe tastes like a whiskey and Coke? And they're like, uh, yeah, I think we could do that. And they <laughs> pulls out a bottle of Jameson from under the counter, makes a whiskey and Coke. Like, they're serving liquor without a license. Yeah. I worked in a place that was BYOB. You brought your own liquor, but you had to pay for the mixer. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I guess that was. And it was not cheap mixer. Well, they still know. have clubs, don't they? Don't they still I have guess, like Yeah. yeah. You, you have a bottle behind the like, bar. Yeah. You have to become a member of become the club member of the or club. whatever. And then they don't, that can, they can get around the liquor license that way or whatever. How do we get on this subject? I don't know. Food trucks. I, uh, liquor truck. Oh, food truck, liquor truck. <laughs> uh, um, my God, I had something and I lost it. That's okay. It's time to end anyway. It is time to end it. Uh, be sure and check us out online. We are at bootrayperry.com uh, and hughesfiorelli.com. Yes, indeedy. And uh, you can uh, find us at uh, areyouinfocus.com because we will be speaking live and doing the uh, podcast live at the Focus Convention in Orlando. September 10th, 11th, and 12th. And our website is also photobombpodcast.com. And if you want to suggest a topic or ask your questions, yes. just send an email to questions at photobombpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Photobomb Podcast. Yes. You can find my group at facebook.com slash profototalkwithburay. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Something like just that. Google pro- uh, just Google You can Just Google it. If you don't know how to use Google. You can find me in, uh, in Attic, Massachusetts on 919. Go to ppam.com for more information. I will be speaking and teaching an entire day. A brand new program. Five-minute photography. How to take any picture anywhere in five minutes. Uh, and it's uh, coming up in Massachusetts. It's going to be a great program. I am taking like six months off from teaching. So I'm done. But my book no. is. Yes. Oh, yes. But my book is finished and is getting ready to come out. Headshots. Uh, or it's photographing headshots, lighting, and posing the close-up by me, Gary Hughes. And that is available for sale on Amazon.com right now. However, however, if you wait until yeah. the release in October, you can also purchase it from me directly and I will sign it with Leonard Nimoy's signature. Oh, so very, that's right. nice. <laughs> very nice. For an extra Especially since he's dead. For an extra $50, I will sign it uh, and and send you an autographed 8x10 of Leonard Nimoy, All autographed right. by me. No, a rare photo of Sean Connery signed by Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> this All is right. a rare photo of Sean Connery signed by Roger Moore. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you back here next week. See you later. Good morning, Connery.